From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. A variety of drugs are used today to help people with heart problems. Some of the newer drugs were chemically designed in laboratories before going through years of expensive clinical trials and eventually gaining FDA approval. Some of the older drugs that are still in use today were discovered accidentally, but it still took years for them to become accepted and purified and widely used. Here to talk with us about five cardiac drugs that go back hundreds or thousands of years and are still in use today is Dr. Harold Smolian. He's an emeritus professor of medicine at Upstate who specializes in cardiology, and he's got a strong interest in history. Welcome back to HealthLink on Air, Dr. Smolian. Thanks for letting me come. I'm glad to have you here. So what made you want to investigate these particular medications? Well, I was always interested in, um, in the background of some of the aspects of cardiology, and some of these drugs go back very, very far in history. And uh, it was a way of looking back and seeing where we came from and how we got there. And there are uh, medications that you've prescribed for your patients over oh, the many, decades. Many, many times, yes. So uh, let's name the five drugs that we're going to talk about. Well, I, uh, I put them in chronological order, which also turns out to be alphabetical order. Oh. Uh, but uh, the first is uh, aspirin, and the next is atropine, and then digitalis, nitroglycerin, and lastly, quinidine. Quinidine, okay. And is it correct, is it my understanding that um, all five of these had other uses before they were known to have cardiological effects? Well, four of them did. Okay. Digitalis has been used for heart trouble uh, since its inception. Uh, but the other four all had other uses that, uh, that are rather interesting and have nothing to do with cardiology. Wow. Well, I want to get into each of them individually. So how about we start with aspirin? Where, where did aspirin come from? Aspirin came from the bark of the willow tree. And it was used uh, for thousands of years uh, uh, before uh, anyone made aspirin tablets. Uh, it was found uh, just quite accidentally that it was useful in relieving fever and, and, and pain. So it was used for what medically is called an antipyretic to reduce fever and to relieve the inflammation of pain. So it goes back how many, how many years back? We're talking Babylonian time? Uh, yes, that's right. It goes wow. back to Babylonian times because it was used quite by accident by the ancients to uh, relieve symptoms. I'm trying to imagine what made someone think the bark from a tree could be useful for anything. Well, in search for uh, relief of pain and, and symptoms, uh, people ground up leaves, barks, uh, anything that they could swallow in the hopes that they would work. So how did it get from tree bark to, ta I mean, they, tree bark, they would just chew on it? Yes, uh-huh. Huh, okay. Just chew on the bark. And then over the years, we came up with a way to turn it into a tablet form. Well, they ground it up and uh, made a soup out of it, I suppose. Okay. Well, tell me uh, how aspirin is used in cardiology now, because it's not used as a, well, I guess it is used as a fever reducer, you know, on the shelf of your pharmacy these days, but in cardiology, what is it used for? Well, it was found that it interfered, it was found much, much later, uh, that it interfered with the clotting mechanism, and clotting is part of the disease atherosclerosis that causes blockade of the uh, coronary arteries and some of the other arteries, hardening of the arteries, if you like. So it's a blood thinner? In a way, it's a no blood way. thinner, yes. And since uh, clotting is a part of atherosclerosis, it was given it a try to see whether it could modify the effects of atherosclerosis and reduce its, uh, its frequency and its se severity. 
Are there still a lot of um, people with heart issues that take an aspirin a day? Oh, indeed there are. Okay. Uh, aspirin's used widely to uh, prevent second attacks of, uh, of heart trouble. Uh, whether everybody should take an aspirin is still a controversial issue, but people who have heart trouble, known heart disease, are often given aspirin to prevent uh, second attacks. And I've heard the phrase baby aspirin. Is that just a lower dose? It's a lower dose. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Well, let's move on to atropine. So this has an interesting first use, right? Yes, it, it comes from a, a plant called the nightshade. It's very poisonous, um, the nightshade is, and was used as a poison in ancient days um, to uh, get rid of emperors and kings and enemies of emperors and kings. Um, so a poison used in, in, as a, as a war Indeed, wartime. yeah. Huh? Now, did I read that it, uh, had, it was used as a cosmetic as well? It was. Well, the story goes that Cleopatra used it to dilate her pupils in her, in her eye. Uh, this was supposed to make her more alluring. Uh, whether that's true or not, I don't know. But she used it, and I think generations of other women have used uh, uh, drugs like atropine to, uh, to dilate the pupils and make them look more beautiful. Huh, interesting. So how did it get from a poison uh, in, to be used as, you know, a medicine? Well, it, it, it was, um, it, it's known to have a very specific effect on a part of the nervous system. And uh, uh, when it was used for that purpose, it was able to increase the heart rate when it was too slow. And it had many other uses outside of cardiology and ophthalmology, for example. It dilates the pupil allows ophthalmologists to see the back of the eye more readily. Uh, although it's not used much anymore because it's very long-lasting, and there are shorter-acting ones now that the ophthalmologists use, but they're similar. It's also um, an antidote for the nerve gases that are used in war. Uh, and and uh, I understand that some, some of the military are provided with single injections of atropine should they encounter a nerve gas during uh, conflict. Wow, and so a nerve gas would um, make your heart race, and the atropine makes it slow down, or yeah, it would uh, interfere with the uh, with the action of the uh, of the nerve gas and and uh, block its effect, so wow. that the uh, nerve gas would be no longer effective. So it's now, an antidote. Is atropine for uh, people with cardiac issues? Is it like aspirin in that it might be taken once a day, kind of thing, or or what is it used for? No, no, it's used uh, almost always intravenously. Uh, uh, you can't take it by mouth. Okay. And um, it's uh, it's used uh, especially for uh, for difficulties with uh, with the heart rate as an antiarrhythmic. If the heart's going too slow, under certain circumstances, it will provide a way to make it go faster. So you'd probably be in a hospital if you're getting if you're receiving this. That's right. Intravenously. Yeah. Okay. Well, wow. now um, digitalis. I read that digitalis was first used to treat something called dropsy, but what is that? Well, this is the only one that hasn't had a secondary use. Uh, dropsy was really the term used for people who got swelling of the, uh, of the feet or ankles. We call it edema now, but in those days it was called dropsy. And one of the causes of edema of the feet or dropsy is heart failure. And um, uh, the... Uh, person who discovered this and made it popular popularized it was a man named William Withering. And he, uh, he got a, a soup from an elderly woman who presumably had powers that the practitioners in England didn't have at that time to treat dropsy. He was an eminent botanist, and although she used many plants in her soup, he deduced 
that the active principle was in a plant called the foxglove. And, and that uh, was in her soup? And that was one of the ingredients of her soup. And so uh, he, uh, he isolated the uh, foxglove ingredient and used it alone and found out in some patients with dropsy, that is those patients who had it from heart failure, uh, were improved. Obviously, a swelling of the ankles can come from a lot of other things besides heart failure, and it didn't very well work in those instances, but it did work in the people with heart failure. Was it, uh, so it's not an anti-inflammatory? Not at all. Um, how does it work? It, it's supposed to strengthen the beat, strengthen the contractions of the heart. Uh, it also controls, uh, sometimes when the heart goes very fast, it will slow its rate. Uh, so that it's a, at the time it was a very effective, in fact, it was the only effective cardiac medication for many years. How is it uh, taken today? It's taken, you can take it either by mouth or by injection. Um, it's, for years it was prescribed widely by mouth, but it's now been supplanted by other agents which are uh, more effective than it is, although it's still occasionally used. So there are still some patients that take digitalis? There are. Okay. Well, let me remind listeners, this is uh, Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with Dr. Harold Smolian. He's a cardiologist and historian who's published a paper about five ageless cardiac drugs. We've talked about aspirin and atropine and digitalis, but I want to also make sure we go and talk about nitroglycerin because I think a lot of people have heard about that in relation as an explosive. Well, that's the confusing part about nitroglycerin because it is... Uh, an explosive was used widely for that purpose, and it also used for heart disease, especially to relieve the pain of angina pectoris or the pain in the chest from uh, coronary heart disease. It was um, discovered in the in the laboratory of a famous chemist in Paris, and um, Alfred Nobel went there to study chemistry, learned about this uh, compound, uh, but the the group in Paris had decided not to market it commercially because it was too dangerous. It exploded all the time. And uh, what Nobel saw was a commercial possibility if he could control the, uh, the explosions that occurred. If and he so, could keep it from exploding. That's right, could, and, wow. and, and uh, allow it to only explode when someone wanted it to. So that was his big invention. He converted nitroglycerin into dynamite and made a fortune in doing that, and therefore he uh, financially supported the five Nobel Prizes that bear his name. Oh, interesting. It's also interesting that he developed angina later in life and was prescribed nitroglycerin to leave the, relieve his pain, but he wouldn't take it. Was, was he afraid of taking it? Or? <laughs> I'm, it's not clear to me uh -huh. why he refused to take it, although there was assurance that in the preparations that were made for medical purposes, there was no chance of it exploding. Wow. So nitro is a little pill or a tablet that dissolves, right? You yes, put it, in you your put mouth it under and... your tongue. Okay. There are also oral forms of the same of a similar medication that you could take by mouth. So in dissolving under your tongue, um, it, it works immediately? For... Nearly immediately, within minutes. Yes. Okay. As a pain reliever, because I know patients who have heart disease maybe have some of these to take as needed, right? They do. It's also used in the treatment of heart failure in some instances, so it has uh, many uses and still widely used for, uh, for the treatment of angina. And it's safe, it's not going to explode? It will not explode. Okay. All right, so quinidine or quinidine? We say quinidine. Quinidine. So what is that, and where did it come from? Well, it came from the bark of a tree as well. Um, the cinchona tree uh, was known that 
that the uh, if you used the bark, you ingested the bark, that it would relieve um, it would relieve pain and, and diminish your fever. Uh, probably most of the fever that were treated at that time was from malaria, and so quinine, which was the original alkaloid from this bark, uh, has been found to be a very effective treatment uh, for malaria. And so that's the way uh, quinine uh, came from the bark, and quinidine is a chemical cousin of quinine and was found to be more effective for the heart than it was for malaria. So when you mention a pain reliever and fever reducer, it makes me think back to the aspirin we talked about. Um, but this works differently, or is it? Yes, this works, uh, this works prim primarily for the treatment of malaria. Aspirin works for fever of all kinds. Of all kinds. Okay, gotcha. So how can something that treats malaria help heart arrhythmias? Well, it, it was uh, probably an accidental finding that uh, pe people took um, uh, quinine uh, for all kinds of fever at the time. And someone noticed that one of the uh, arrhythmias of the heart that he had subsided when he took quinine for fever. And so this uh, accidental observation led to the idea that there was something in the bark that would also help the heart. Well, these medicines we've been talking about, they've been around for so long, in some cases centuries. Does that mean they're safe? No, not at all. Uh, uh, you can take too much of almost anything uh, and find that it's unsafe. It has to be used under uh, uh, controlled conditions to get the benefits without much of the risks. Does it mean they're inexpensive because they've been around for so long? Yeah, that's probably true. Uh, um, but when I wrote this paper, I checked on how much a vial of atropine costs, and it was $4.89. Wow. Uh, which is pretty cheap as medicines Compared. go. Compared. Sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, um, in this paper that you wrote uh, about the history of medicine, um, what did you have like a conclusion that you drew after looking into all of these? Well, I found it interesting that um, uh, these medications never went through the process that's required now for a new medication to be used in clinical medicine. Uh, they were found accidentally, they were tried here and there, and it only took, it took many, many years for them to be isolated, purified, and made available in, in form that could be easily taken. Uh, there were no uh, clinical trials to find out if they were effective and what their risks were. All this was uh, determined by trial and error. Nowadays, uh, a new drug has to go ex through extensive testing to find out whether it's uh, safe, whether it's effective, and it's usually quite expensive at least at first. The present system takes probably years to get um, approval from its discovery through a widespread clinical use. Uh, but the early drugs um, was much cheaper, but it was, took much, much longer, uh, centuries sometimes, to figure out how it worked and what its benefits were. Wow. Well, this has been very interesting. I thank you for your time. My guest has been cardiologist historian Dr. Harold Smolian. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.